Thanks so much for joining us today. We would love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment and visit mpcocala.com stories to tell us your story. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry financially, you can give online or through our mobile giving app. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Help me welcome our online church family. Good to have you. It's going to be a good night. Well, you can be seated. It's good to be here, huh? Who was the cute blonde on worship team? If you're joining us for the first time, that was my wife, so... She is off the market. Uh, but if you're here for the first time, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Meadowbrook, and it is always a blast to be able to hang out with the Wednesday night crew. And uh, I, I'm excited about what I feel I have to share tonight, but I bring greetings from Pastor Tim and Alicia. As, as a lot of you know, they're on vacation. Um, yes, he was out for a while, but as he said, that was not a vacation. <laughs> Uh, that was torturous at times, and so now after a few months of having been back in, they're going to take a few weeks, uh, few weeks and actually get away, and so we're glad that they can do that. But he, he sends his, his love to you, and um, this past week, he was released from his hand surgeon. So, if, yeah. So if you remember, I don't know, a month or so back, he was released from his back surgeon, and this week they, they, they released him from all his hand therapy. From here on out, it's just... Um, you know, stuff he'll have to do at home. And so we're grateful for where he's at and that. And then um, also want to let you know that post-vacation, probably around August, he's going to start returning back and teaching Wednesday nights as well. So I know that y'all will enjoy that. But as I always say, I'm here tonight, so we're still going to have church. (laughs) Yeah. I want to do something kind of cool here to start. Um, how many of y'all know we have Meadowbrook College right here at, at Meadowbrook? And if, if you don't know what all that entails, basically we are a fully accredited extension site of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. And so for you, what that means is that without ever leaving Ocala, you can stay right here at Meadowbrook and you can receive an Associate of Arts or a Bachelor of Arts in Ministerial Leadership from Southeastern University. The cool thing is, not only do you get the classroom setting and get, and get you know, FaceTime with professors, but the, the thing about being a part of an extension site is that our students get hands-on applications serving in different ministries. So for instance, if you were focusing on that degree and you wanted to focus in uh, worship arts or next generation, then throughout the week, not only do you have your classroom time, but you also have track time where you are basically interning with our staff in those areas and learning um, and and picking up real life hands-on experience that you don't always get being at the university. So it's a great opportunity. Now this is not a, a plug just for that, but I wanted to give you some context for that because Ultimately, our goal, our prayer is that as students move through uh, our extension site, we want to help raise up those leaders, equip them, and then send them out to advance the kingdom of God. Like, like what, what else would be the purpose? And so a month or so back, we had our first graduating class. There was four of them that, that graduated from the program, and we're anticipating, is it close to 70 this fall, that are going to be a, a part of it? So it's, it's really taken off. But one of our own, Jacob Brown, and he's here tonight with his family. Jacob, if y'all want to come on up. Jacob was, was one of our uh, first graduating students, um, and, and so we are excited tonight. Jacob has accepted a position in Jupiter, Florida at Calvary Church as an associate pastor of students in worship, and he actually, this Sunday will be his first Sunday, so go ahead and give him a hand. And uh, 
he's just an incredible guy with an incredible family. They're plugged in here at Meadowbrook, and we wanted to send, them, send him out the right way and just pray God's grace and anointing upon all of y'all as you walk into this next season. So go ahead and bow your heads, extend your hands towards him, and let's agree together. Father God, right now we come to you. We thank you for Jacob. We thank you for the man of God that he is, the man of God that he is becoming. And, and Lord, we know that even before his parents knew they were caring, even before Jacob ever breathed a breath, you had a plan. You had a purpose. You had gifts and, and passions and desires and things that you wanted to do specifically in and through him. And so we celebrate this milestone now that as he's achieved um, so much and as he has just completed this, this course of education. But now as he steps out into this new season to take this position, Lord, we know that you are already ahead of him waiting there, Father God. I thank you for the people there in Jupiter who are going to be under the ministry that he will be a part of helping to bring. Lord, I pray that you stir up gifts in him that even though he's already aware of those gifts, they would continue continue to grow. You would continue to use him in a real way. You would use him as a worship pastor to usher people into the presence of God. You would use him in an environment with students where he would help reach the next generation and raise up leaders for the kingdom of God. And we just thank you so much that we could play somehow a small part in helping to send him out. Right now, Lord, I, I pray for a fresh boldness and grace upon him, that you would put your super upon his natural and specifically for his family, that as they all walk in this together, Lord, that your grace would be upon them as they adjust to the, the new stuff, the unknowns that you would be, especially with his mom as he steps out into this season. And Lord, we just thank you in advance for the harvest, for the fruit that we're going to see come from this. We thank you that he is just first in a line of many of world changers coming from the Meadowbrook College program who are going to go out and do incredible things for you. And we give you the praise. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Bless you, man. Well, tonight... Uh, we're going to talk about miracles. And I, I don't know if you heard any buzz about that or saw anything online, but I have a message for you called Candidate for a Miracle. And kind of, I, I guess what my goal would be is, is two things, that walking away from tonight, you would have an expanded view of what constitutes a miracle. I, I think a lot of times when you hear, actually first let me back up, let me get something out of the way. When I was telling my wife what I was going to talk about, she was like, why are you saying it like that? I said, saying what? Like what? She said, you say miracle. It's miracle. I'm like, that's what I said, miracle. She goes, no, you're still saying it, miracle. <laughs> so however it sounds like I'm saying it, I'm talking about the miraculous tonight, okay? <laughs> so if you think I say it weird, just put it aside, allow God to speak through me. <laughs> now back on track. I had to get that out of the way because I was feeling self-conscious. <laughs> Sometimes when it comes to miracles, we only think of what is supernaturally, unexplainable, impossible. And I think when we only look at them in that way, we often miss the everyday miracles that God is already doing in our lives. And so my first goal would be that you would expand kind of how you view them. Secondly, is that you would walk away with an awareness and a willingness to embrace the fact that God works miracles both supernaturally and naturally. That, that, that he does it in the most mysterious of ways and then sometimes in the most ordinary, everyday ways. But regardless, we step back and say, wow, that was God at work. Um, and so we'll, we'll get back to miracles here in a second. But y'all know we live in an upgrade uh, society. Like we have this upgrade mentality where everything that is thrown at us has us conditioned that we are always looking for the next thing, the, the, the better thing, the new thing, the faster thing. It applies to our cars our houses, our, our, our clothes, our toys, our gadgets. You know, you know, technology is advancing faster than it ever has. 
Styles are changing more than they ever have, and, and marketing is in our face everywhere we look. And so it, 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 it's, if we're not careful, it's brought us to a place where we're not happy with what we have because we see the next thing is coming. Y'all, y'all are quiet. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, do, does anyone have a smartphone or an iPhone, right? Every iPhone I've had, when I finally get it, like my, my cellular contract is uh, good for an upgrade or I finally fork out the money to get one, as soon as I get it, Apple starts dropping hints about what the features of the next one will be. And then they have this big keynote presentation and they tell you all the cool things it's going to do. And suddenly I'm like, man, I want the new one. <laughs> like that one's better. And, and it's all based on what they say. Like, it, like our opinions are actually in the palm of their hands. Like one, one round of iPhones, it's all about the bigger. Like they're going to be bigger this time. You're like, oh, I want the big phone. And then you get it. And then the next round, they're like, oh, we're going smaller. It's all about being smaller. You're like, no, I want the, I want the small one. And, and so that's like the tension we live in. And, and I'm, a, I'm a watch guy. I love watches. I don't know if we have any watch guys in the house, but um, I I keep them all in my top drawer. And, you know, depending on what I'm wearing one day, you know, I have a few watches I like to choose from. But the thing is, my son Gavin is also a watch guy. And so there's days where I'll open it and I realize I only have like one or two watches in there. (laughs) First few times it happened, I was like, I thought I'd been robbed. And then finally, now I know that if I just walk across the house and go in his room, I'll usually find a pile of my watches on his nightstand as if they're his. And so I, I had been wanting an Apple Watch for like a year, but I was just like, I can't really justify it. I couldn't even tell you everything it does, so how can I say that I need it? But around Valentine's, they went on sale, and I just bought like the base one, and Gavin was watching me play with it, and like plain as day, he goes, hey, Dad, yeah, can I have that? <laughs> no, you can't have it. Like, like, why would I give it to you? You're five years old. And then and just, just totally confident saying this, he said, well, you know the new one's coming out, so can I have it when you get the new one? <laughs> Even he knows. Of course the kids know. They know toys and, and new games and technology is happening. And so beyond just uh, consumerism and beyond just our, our stuff, what I want you to realize is that that upgrade mentality has crept into our lives as, as Christians. It, it, it has begun to infiltrate the way uh, people even go to church. Our, our, our spiritual walk, our, our level of expectancy. And, and, and have you ever heard of church shopping? Okay, so church shopping, that's not so bad. I, I think, say, say you and your family moved to a new area, and you had to leave your home church that you were a part of. So you get to this new area. Well, you want to make sure you find the church that you feel comfortable and at home worshiping in. So I think church shopping is a healthy way to, you know, try a few churches, see where God is leading you, and then put down, down roots there. But there is a difference between church shopping and then church hopping. Okay, you drop the S, suddenly it becomes church hopping, and that's when people don't really put down roots anywhere. They kind of just jump from church to church based on how they feel that week, based on what they're getting out of church, and, and kind of miss the point of what it's really about. It's about belonging, and it's about God working in all our lives together. But with that upgrade mentality and that, that next best thing approach, believers are often jumping from church to church, chasing the next move of God, chasing signs and wonders, chasing uh, miracles, and well, revival's happening there, so we're leaving and we're going there. And I think when we look at it that way, we're so focused on what's next that we're missing what God is already doing around us, okay? And so there's, there's those two dangerous words, what's next? What's next? That, that can't be our approach. And, you know, my wife and I, we love doing, like, home projects. We love, you know, whether it's big or small, we, we just love taking on stuff and, and kind of DIY, you know. Um, but thanks to HGTV and, and Pinterest and stuff like that, my wife thinks that I can do, like, anything. Oh, well, well, he did it. 
You, you can do that. And so I won't even be done with one project. And then I feel like she's standing there saying, what's next? Like, she's got a list. Now we're going to start on this. And I'm like, can't we just enjoy the, 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 you know, the satisfaction of the job we're about to finish? And it's like, I have to be like, babe, I'm not Chip Gaines, okay? <laughs> Y'all seen Fixer Upper? Like, like, you didn't marry Chip Gaines. I'm sorry. But what's, what's next? Those are two, two words that we have to guard against. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19. And this is the words of God through the prophet. He's saying, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a what? A new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now when I first read that, that word new thing, uh, it made me think of this. You know, he's doing it. God is doing a new thing. You know, he's doing it. God is doing a new thing. You know, he's doing it. Who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. You know, he's doing it. Yo, who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. Okay, if you don't know what that is, then I question your salvation. <laughs> That's old school DC talk. And, uh... That, that's like a prerequisite for being a mature Christian. So tonight, if, you, if you're not aware of that, we will bring you down here. We'll pray with you. We'll give you some DC Talk cassettes to go home and take your, level, uh, your relationship with God to the next level. But back on track again. Sorry, I'm getting off track tonight. Let's read that verse again. He says, remember not the former things. Uh, I take that as God is saying, don't hold me to just what I've already done, but realize like I want to do more. Don't, don't limit me just to what I've already done. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing, say it again, a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Kind of like, do you not sense that I'm already at work? Do you not see what I'm doing around you? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers and the desert. And so there's speculation. There's debate over whether the children of Israel were, were in Babylonian captivity yet or not, if that had happened. But here's what you got to realize is whether they were in that captivity, they were captive to their circumstances. Have any of you here felt captive to your circumstances? Based on what's going on in your life, you feel surrounded or you feel distance from God. And what, what happens is, is we get overwhelmed and then we kind of uh, just get the sense that we deserve what we're going through or that, that things are going to get worse and that we're somehow trapped. You know, Pastor Tim said it this last week. He said, we too often accept our current situation as a permanent fixture or reality in our life. And, and what God is saying is, don't hold me just to what I've done. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing something now. If I did it then, I can, I, if I was faithful, I am still faithful. Do you all not believe that? Do you not perceive that? Do you not sense that? And so this is the point I want you to get. Don't miss the new thing God is doing because you're looking for the next thing. Don't miss the new thing he's already doing because of that upgrade mentality and you're too busy chasing the next thing or saying, well, I don't, since God is moving here, so I'm going to go chase signs and wonders or miracles or revival. And God's saying, whoa, 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 I'm already at work right here, right now. Be patient and trust me. Don't miss what I'm doing. And I believe that when you stop chasing the next thing, you will see what he is already doing. Amen? Okay, so back to miracles. How many of you believe that God is a miracle-working God? All right, pretty much every hand in this place is up. And we, we can all can agree that he's a big God. He's a powerful God. Nothing's impossible for him. He works miracles. But something happens when it comes to our own miracle. 
You, you've, you've had that experience where someone close to you is going through just heartbreaking circumstances. They are needing God to show up in a big way. And you partner your faith with them and you fully believe that God is going to work a miracle in their life. But then when you're in a situation that seems dire or you're in a situation where it seems like you're overwhelmed and, and how is this going to look up, a lot of times that's where our faith begins to shake. That's where the fear gets real. It's like we have no problem standing in faith for someone else's miracle, but what about when it's our own? Okay, so the second question I want to ask you is how many of you would say that right now you need a miracle? Okay, so that, that was a lot less hands than, than what went up the first time. First I said how many believe he can work miracles? Every hand went up. That, you know, a good percentage would say that you're needing a miracle. I talked to several people before service, some needing a miracle, some celebrating a miracle where God has just shown himself faithful. But I'm willing to say that every hand in this place should have gone up for that last question. That when I say, let me ask it again, who in here needs a miracle? Okay. We are all candidates for a miracle. And do you know why that is? It's because... Every miracle begins with a problem. If you have a problem, then you need a miracle. If you have a need, if you have something that you are not capable to do on your own, you are a candidate for a miracle from God. And I think so often we try to fix stuff on our own and we don't even consider ourselves worthy of or the situation worthy of going to God for help. We just try to fix it on our own. But if you have anything you need help with, you are a candidate for a miracle because miracles start with a problem or a need. Think of, the, think of the, the wedding feast in the New Testament, one of Jesus' first miracles. They ran out of wine. And, and, and weddings then were different. This was like a, a celebration that went on for days. And so that's not good news when you have all these people and, and the wine ran out. So Jesus did what? He turned the water into wine. He solved the problem. He extended the party, if you will. Uh, look when he, uh, elsewhere in the New Testament where the disciples are, are fishing and, and they're not catching anything. And, and, you know, they were fishermen, and, and they're not bringing anything in. And Jesus gives them instruction. He, he performs a miracle. And what happens next, they bring in so much fish that the boat can hardly contain it. Where there's a problem, I think that makes you a candidate for a miracle. And so I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 through 44 is what we're going to read. And this is a, 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 an instance in Scripture that you probably are well familiar with. But I want you to look at it with fresh eyes and how I see a natural progression that relates maybe to our level of expectancy when believing for a miracle. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Put your finger right there. This is, this is the, the instance where they get the boys' lunch of five loaves and two fish and they bring it to Jesus. Uh, this particular gospel account doesn't show that, but if you look at it elsewhere, we see that. So they, they bring it back and they say five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 
men. Okay, so let's back up. Jesus is tired. He, he's been traveling and ministering with his disciples, and, and he, they're planning to, to do, go rest. But he notices these people who, who've come, and they're expectant, and they're hungry, and he has compassion on them. He's Jesus. So he goes. He says, let's go. Let's teach. Let's minister. Well, you, just how I said a problem uh, is the, the, the root for, for a miracle to happen. Well, a problem takes place. They have all these people together. Night is upon them, and they have nothing to feed these people. So the disciples, like us, they immediately assess the problem in the natural, and then they immediately come up with a natural solution. They say, well, we don't have any food. They need to go find their own food to eat. And so what does Jesus say to them? He says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. They're probably like, what? They even sarcastically answer back, do you expect us to just come up with the money and go and buy that? But what I see from this, Jesus turning it back on them and saying, you give them something to eat, is where we see limitation, he sees no limits. Where we see impossibility, he sees possibility. When we say game over, he says the game's just beginning. And and, and so he says, you give them something to eat. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So he fully intends that he has given them a part in the natural. He expects them to follow through on that and then to trust him with the results. So what do we see that plays out? They bring back a little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fish. And what does Jesus do? He takes it and he multiplies it to feed 5,000 people, not just feed them, but to the place that they are full. And there's 12 baskets of leftovers. So in our own life where we are tempted to maybe solve something with our own natural solution or just to give up, I think that the little boy was willing to give give Jesus just his lunch, just, just a little bit. And Jesus can work with that. I think in our own lives, if we're willing to give him just enough, he says, I can work with that. Even with a little, God can do much. And I encourage you tonight, give him something to work with. You have a part to play in the miracle process. Yes, there's Jesus' part. He does the heavy lifting. He's the one who pulls it off. But we have a part to play. And when you do your part, Jesus does his part and works a miracle, performs a miracle. Do you believe that? Okay, it sounds simple. I do my part, he does his part, he works a miracle. But a lot of times we find ourselves in the heat of the circumstances and we say, well, what is my part? We're so overwhelmed, we don't know what to do. And you may be sitting here tonight saying, tell me, what, what is my part? What, what am I to do in this waiting period while I trust God to, to, to come through on my behalf? And so I think in order to realize our part, we have to look at three miracles that Jesus never did. Okay, we're going to look at three types of miracles that Jesus never did. And I think from observing that, it will show us what our part is in this process. So first, he did not do a miracle without faith. He did not do a miracle without faith. Go with me to Mark, still in the book of chapter, or still in the uh, chapter 6, but verse 1, beginning of the chapter says, he went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now get this, verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there. He could do no 
miracles there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Okay, so Jesus, he's a big deal. He, he's traveling about, he's, he's healing people, he's ministering, he's teaching, multitudes are following him. And so now he's in his hometown. And at first they're kind of amazed, but then quickly they realize, oh wait, Jesus, we know him. We know this guy. He grew up here. His sisters are here. That's son of the carpenter. We know, we know them. And, and, and so because of that familiarity, because of that proximity, there's no real honor or level of expectation. They're not expecting much. They, they don't necessarily believe he is who he says he is. And so because of that, it says he could do no mighty work there. Now that doesn't mean his ability went away. Doesn't mean his ability subsided. He was still God in flesh, but because there was no faith exercised on their part, it says he, was, he marveled because of their unbelief. Faith is such a key part of Jesus performing a miracle. It's us giving him something to work with. I want to go now to an opposite scenario uh, in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, and you've probably heard this account. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I can touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and in trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. In our situations, in our circumstances, when we feel overwhelmed, a lot of times out of that fear, our tendency is to just kind of hunker down where we're at. We, we let our fear kind of uh, paralyze us where we're at. And I think just like the woman, she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just get near him, I believe that's enough to heal me. She tried other means. She'd done everything she could. She was at that place of desperation and she made effort towards him. She exercised faith. She asked And step number one for us and our part in this process is that we would ask in faith. Ask in faith. We have not because we ask not. Let us be a people of expectation. Let us be a people of faith who are not afraid to ask God for the impossible. I believe we have to ask and we have to ask big. God honors bold prayers. You know why? Because bold prayers honor God. Bold prayers honor God, and, and I, I think first step, we've got to ask in faith. So now let's look at the, the second type of miracle that, that we don't see Jesus perform, and, and I, I think this really has to do with a sign from heaven. I talked about people being so fixated on a sign, signs and wonders, a, a personal sign from heaven. God, prove to me that you're real. I want you to go to Mark chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. It says, And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. Uh, Stop right there. You're probably saying, didn't we just read this? This is a similar miracle. He just fed 5,000. Now he feeds 4,000. Different place, different people, same type of miracle. Verse 10, immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and he went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees then came and they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. 
And he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Do you not see what, what just took place? The, the, the miracle that Jesus performed, and yet these overly religious, prideful men track him down and say, prove who, who you are who you say you are. Give us, give us a sign, putting him to the test, almost taunting him. And I'm not saying that that's our approach if we're looking for a sign, but let us be guarded to the fact that sometimes we skim over what he's done because we're so busy looking for a sign. Sometimes we miss that new thing because we're chasing that next thing. And I believe if we start recognizing his handiwork all around us, we would realize what a miraculous God that he is. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. If you question if God is a miracle-working God, I, I just ask you to go outside. Look around. But feel the breath in your lungs. There is so much evidence of his handiwork in our lives. And, and, and if, we, if all creation testifies our creator, then why do we need a personal sign on top of that? So step one is to ask in faith. Step two is to recognize his work. Recognize his handiwork. Recognize his glory and nature. Recognize the faithfulness of God that is all around us. Number three, the third type of miracle that Jesus never did was a miracle that contradicted the plan of God. He never did a miracle that contradicted the plan of God. And I think a, a perfect case in point, a perfect for instance, would be the cross. You know, there, there was that point where Jesus said, Father, if you can't, take, take this cup from me. He, it was agony. He knew what was about to happen. But then he says, yet not as I will, but your will be done. There was greater work that was going to happen through such an ugly thing as the cross. And so in Mark 15, verses 29 through 32, it says, Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, yet he cannot even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They're, they're, they're taunting him. They're, they're trying to point out that he's not who he says he is. If you're so powerful, if you're such a savior, then save yourself. You can't even get yourself out of this situation. Now, the truth is he could have. He, he's God. He could do anything. But the miracle of his survival would have undermined the greater miracle of his resurrection. Think about that. He could have delivered himself from that situation. But what would have happened to us? The miracle of his survival undermined the greater miracle of his death, his burial, his resurrection, the work of the cross, and what it means in our lives today. There was a greater purpose. And so I say that to say a lot of times in our lives, we pray not just for breakthrough, but we pray for a very specific miracle. We pray for God to come through how we want, when we want, how we think something should be solved based on our natural mindset. And so then when we don't see God working in that time frame or working in that way, we start to give place to questions and doubting God and thinking, well, he's not showing up or he doesn't care about me. And really, that's not the truth at all. God does not perform miracles that contradict his plan. We, we may feel like he's not showing up, but really he has something better in store. He, he wants to do something greater. 
Uh, someone before service told me tonight that his delays are not denials. And so even though it seems like it's taking longer in the natural, even though we're, we're growing frustrated, can you please just trust that God knows what he's doing, that his timing and his method may differ from your expectations, but his way is perfect and therefore his provision and his miracle working power is perfect. Amen? Amen. So step three is to trust him. Trust him. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust his timing. Trust his ability to work out his faithfulness in your life. And when you stand on the other side of that and you see the victory and the way God pulled it off, you will no doubt be able to give the glory to him and say, why did I ever question you to begin with? Ask in faith. Ask in faith. Recognize his work. And thirdly, trust him. Do your part, trust him to do his, and be amazed at his provision. Now, as I prepare uh, to wrap tonight, I want to kind of issue all of us maybe a caution. Issue us uh, just, just a warning, because I think this is the area where most of us miss it, and that is that we only go to him for what seems impossible. Are, are, are there stuff in your life right now that you'd say, oh, that's impossible, I can't fix that? Come on, be real. They're, they're, we, we, we recognize the impossible. But so often we only go to him for what seems impossible, meaning that there's other stuff that we deem possible. We think, okay, I can fix that. I can sort that out. That's financial. I'll figure it out. There's so many little things that we, it's like we divide the, the, uh, the needs to, to the more severe ones and then the little ones, the impossible ones and then the possible ones that, that we think we can figure out. But here's the truth. It's all impossible for us. Apart from his grace, we have nothing. And that's why we find ourselves full of fear, full of anxiety, full of worry, find ourselves frustrated. It's because we're trying to carry things we weren't meant to carry. We're trying to solve things that we aren't meant to solve. Realize it's all impossible. And whatever your need is, whatever your problem is, don't wait till it seems impossible. Just from the get-go, say, God, I give it to you. I trust you and I need your help or I'm not going to get through this. And here's the reality of that is we often don't have faith for a miracle in the big stuff because we don't think we need one in the small stuff. Think about that. I talked earlier about our faith being shaken when we're faced with, with, with big trials. But we often don't have faith for a miracle in the big stuff because we don't think we need it in the small stuff. Well, I think that small stuff is training ground for our faith. That, that's our way to exercise our faith. And, and we recognize, wow, God was faithful in the small stuff. Surely he's faithful in the big stuff as well. Because nothing is too big or too small for him. Nothing is impossible to him. There's nothing so little that, that it's insignificant to him. If it matters to you, it matters to the heart of God. He sees it and he's capable of fixing it. Whether it's a malignant, aggressive tumor or a wart on your foot that no one sees, it's the same thing to him and he's fully capable. Do you believe that? And so the classical definition of a miracle would imply what is unexplainable and the natural. But if you're only looking for God in the supernatural, you'll miss him. Now, yes, he is supernatural. Yes, he's at work in the supernatural. He does miraculous, unexplainable things. But if you're only looking for him in those ways, I think you're going to miss all the other ways that he's already at work in your life. Simply put, a miracle is an act of God, whether natural or supernatural. And it's not so much how God works the miracle as it is the significance that he works the miracle. And so take, for instance, healing. Okay, well, you've heard Pastor Tim say that all healing is from God. Now, I talk to people who take exception with that. 
They think it is only healing from God if I'm supernaturally, unexplainably, miraculously healed in an instant. But that if I go to doctors or if I resort to medicine, that somehow I'm undermining the will of God. I've, I, I haven't exercised my faith, and therefore that all healing is not from God. There's people who struggle with that. But, but whether God does it instantly, which he can do unexplainably, or whether he, he leads you to, to a doctor who, who, who helps you walk through something, either way, don't you believe God still receives the glory? Don't you still believe that God was working healing all along? All healing is from God. He has anointed and appointed men and women in the field of medicine and science to make advancements and to change how we treat diseases and how we take care of our bodies. And so whether he does it, boom, like that, or he uses someone else to help you get to that place of wholeness, what you need to recognize is still that a miracle took place and that God was at work through all of it. Secondly, think about provision. Maybe your family's been in need, and some people would say, well, it's only God's provision if miraculously, unexplainably, this need is met. But I believe God will also put on people's heart to go out of their way and to bring a family groceries or to pay a power bill or to meet something in the natural. Whether supernatural or natural, God is still at work and he still receives the glory. Maybe it's the miracle of, of, healing, of hearing God's voice. There, there's people who, who have said that they heard an audible voice of God. And, and, and that's, that's obviously miraculous. That's something that's unexplainable. But the most common way God speaks to us is through his word. Another common way God speaks to us is through other people. And just through something they say encouraging, it may confirm things that God was already dealing with you on in your heart. So there again, we're faced with something supernatural and unexplainable or something natural and a little bit more explainable. But either way, what I want you to recognize is God is at work. God is at work. He is in the ordinary. He is in the day today. And you and I are candidates for a miracle. And when we expand the way we see the miraculous, we will begin believing for and seeing miracles all around us. Amen? Amen. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected with us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.